Welcome to the Positively Midlife Podcast. We are college friends now in our 50s exploring midlife together. Join us on this journey filled with honest discussion on the topics and challenges that are important to women at midlife. Hey, Ellen. So today we're going to be talking about the four biggest transitions that some of us have already gone through or may be facing here at midlife. Well, a shocking part of midlife for me is that it brings these big transitions, the biggest that we've ever encountered, Tish. I'm consistently surprised at what gets thrown at us at this stage of life. You know, it's so true, Ellen. I think like the changes come swifter and faster now than when we were young. So when we were young, we had these long-term plans. We planned out our careers after years of schooling. We planned out our weddings after these long engagements and months of planning. We even planned out our children, you know, made de- when we made decisions that we were ready to have children. But now transitions at midlife, well, they just seem to come very rapid and they're usually unplanned. Yeah, I agree. And today we're going to talk with Branton Maslin, our guest, about dealing with these four key life transitions. And we're going to focus on how to reframe how we deal with these changes. So we're going to talk about transitions in career, so career shifts, marriage and divorce, empty nesting and launching your kids out into the world and the death of our parents or other elders in your life. Wow, those really are the big four impactful transitions, aren't they? They are. And holy shit, thinking about it, Tish, you and I have been through all four of these. I know. But what I like is that we still have an opportunity to reframe how we look at these changes. And we can reframe them in terms of, you know, more as opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. I like that. We really have to be open to growth moments here at midlife. And it's about how we handle these transitions with ease and clarity. But before we meet Brandon and jump in, it's time for our weekly obsessions. What do you got for me this week, Tish? I always love our weekly obsessions. Well, Ellen, you know, I've been trying to do a side hustle with selling things on Poshmark. And I have found like, so I have all these clothes, but some of them I'll find that are really cute. I'm like, oh no, there's a stain there. So I reached out on Amazon and found this kind of old school type solution. It's called the Nellie's Wow Stick and it's very inexpensive. It's under, I think, $11 for the stick. It's kind of like a piece of chalk, like an old piece of chalk you do on a chalkboard but it's a much waxier kind of consistency and you rub it on the spot and you work it in. And I'm telling you, it has been taking out set in stains. It has been taking out blood spots. I was really surprised like how effective this was. It's kind of like one of those old school remedies that you kind of go back to. I love sometimes the oldies are the goodies. And I'm really proud of you for getting this side hustle together with your resale (laughs) business. Bravo. Hey, it's recession time coming up. You got to have a side (laughs) hustle, right? That's what we said. But Alan, what about you? What's your obsession for this week? 
Well, you know, I'm still obsessing about whether or not to go gray, right? Oh, here we go again. This is going to be a never ending question for us until we, we finally never go ending, never ending, zone. but <laughs> I still have the blonde highlights so that I can have some gray come in, but kind of the last week before I get my hair done, I need to do a little bit of a root touch-up, but I use this product called the Orby Airbrush Root Touch-Up Spray. And you spray it in in the morning, wherever you need it. And it looks so natural. It's amazing. Oh, wow. So it can kind of get you through it that last week. So you have an event to go to and you're like, oh, I got too much root showing. Yes. You always get those. Like right before you really need to go, your hair always seems to me to look the best. And then there's that last little bit where you're like, oh, dear. So I like that there's something that can get you through if you have an event. Exactly. Just that last week, the Orbi Airbrush Root Touch-Up, I use it all the time. Love it. I'm going to need to try that myself. You are. Okay. So let's move on to meet Brandon. A big welcome to Brandon to the Positively Midlife Podcast. Welcome. Brandon Maslin hails from the San Francisco Bay Area and is an executive coach at BAM Leadership Coaching. He is a group learning facilitator, a thought advocate, and podcast and radio co-host of Get Yourself the Job at LA Talk Radio. Brandon, it is so great to have you here with us today. Can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure, absolutely. Uh, So yeah, Brandon Maslin, I hail from Baltimore, where I was a lawyer. I now call myself a recovering lawyer. My wife once made that joke, and she never thought it was funny until she was on a jury trial. Everyone laughed, and I said, I'm only funny to lawyers, but that's a very <laughs> select audience. Uh, practice law, I was a trial attorney, loved it. It was great, but it burned me out, as it does often. There's a seven-year itch in law, and that was mine. I'm a third-generation lawyer. And you know, you think about midlife, and you think about coming to acceptance, and I think there's two ways to do it. Either you get older or you go through tragedy. And in my case, it was tragedy. So tragically and in horrific circumstances, losing my mother and then sort of short, a lot of things happen all at once. And that kind of reevaluates your life and resets you. And I did what all lost souls do, or many do in America, at least, which is move to Los Angeles. Great place to be unemployed because no one really has a job and reset and hiked and yoga and all those things until I got myself a job as a recruiter, legal in that case. And then found my way into the amazing life-affirming magic of coaching. I wanted to be a therapist a long time ago. Uh, That wasn't really an avenue that at least was pursued my family. But coaching was, thank God, I didn't get into therapy because coaching is my calling. And I don't know if I call myself a coach as much as a strategic consultant, a partner, collaborator. I've worked with over 750 organizations of all sizes from Google to Netflix to person, you know, shops, law firms. And then I coach executives all over the world, but really anyone, when I say executive, I mean, someone starting a business. I mean, someone in the business and any stage in between. What an amazing background, Brandon. And I have to say, I'm so glad you ended up in California (laughs) and full disclosure here. I was lucky enough to have Brandon coach me in one of my former jobs. It was an amazing experience for me. 
I should acknowledge that, that I met Ellen while working at an amazing organization called Advancing Women Executives, where I worked for six years and really was my first foray into the coaching field, supporting amazing, trans, uh, just game-changing women like Ellen and so many others. And the whole purpose of the organization was to empower and lift up these amazing women all over the world. And I got the chance to be the executive coach, corporate facilitator for the entire country, and then really specializing and focusing in California and the Midwest. Oh, that's an amazing experience. So was Ellen one of your success stories? 100%. I mean, Ellen <laughs> Ellen was a success story long before I met her. It's just uh, sometimes we don't see our narratives as clearly as others do. I was going to say, is that what you, a part of coaching is letting people realize what their gifts are, really? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a part of what life's about. And I think this is one of the reasons that the field of coaching and so many other things are so important because I was just reading this today, like family, they'll want to keep you safe and friends want to keep you kind of connected to them oftentimes. Uh, and a great coach can come along and say, this is who you are though. Absent all that, this is who you are. And oftentimes, why are you not becoming not just who you are, but who you're meant to be? Because it's always within us. And a great coach will sort of push you. A long time ago, a client asked me to be a sparring partner, not a cheerleader. And that really transferred Mm -hmm. my lives too. Mm -hmm. Just sort of, I was, oh, I'm just going to cheer you on. But that doesn't really do anything. A sparring Mm -hmm. partner is going to get you in shape and get you where you need to be. And sometimes I miss and sometimes I probably have a little too hard. But for the most part, it's my most effective tool, which is being that partner for you that sort of says, why are we sitting on the sidelines? Why are we waiting? Let's go. That's amazing. I feel that that was one of the best parts of working with you as a coach. And when you're saying it's true, friends and family, they have a different perspective and keeping you safe, I think is one of those big things, right? Absolutely. Glennon Doyle talks about in her book, Untamed, one of the missions in life or purposes of life is it disappoint others so you dis- don't disappoint yourself? It was literally, I was picking up my, my wife's ninth day and she was like devouring the book. And there's this great mm-hmm. line in it, which I love, where the daughter says to the mother who's writing the book, like, well, what about you, mom? You know, am I supposed to disappoint you? And she said, especially me, most of all me. Like, <laughs> don't let down your parent. You know, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's breaking the cycle. It's, it's, my wife seems to read a lot of these books of breaking the cycles. And she's an amazing, by the way, like game changer. I, if I'm impressed, my wife is the most impressive person I know on earth. She is um, a leader at DoorDash. She's an incredible mother, wife, survivor in her own right. Just one of the most, and then and yet the beyond kind. So I share all that to say that she's still in this growth process of wanting to be the best she can. And she's already the best. So shout out to my wife. <laughs> Here's the point. She's always reading books about reconfirming, re-acknowledging ourselves and letting go of the past. And I think these patterns of, you know, systemic transgenerational trauma get passed on and passed on and passed on. And I think one of the books you just read was called like, it stops with me or stops with us. I think it is. Mm -hmm. And there's beauty in that. It's okay to stop. And I think sometimes it takes us in our thirties, our forties, our fifties. I just saw someone do it at modern elder Academy. We can talk about that in a second, Uh, 77 years old and stopped the pattern of literally learn how to be a father because he had grandkids. So, yeah. Wow. And so it really leads into our conversation today regarding transitions, um, becoming aware of what we need. That it is. And I think we're going to talk today about four 
kinds of midlife transitions. And I think, Brandon, we're really looking forward to hearing what you have to say around each. And I think the first one we're going to tackle is career shifts. And they could be anything from layoffs or really lack of work fulfillment at midlife, not achieving the level of success that you, you have success you set out to achieve, kind of those disappointments, or it could even be getting ready and retiring. I mean, I recently read a Forbes article that really spoke about midlife professionals just around the globe. And they were talking about that they wanted something more out of their job, something different, something better. And, but they seemed to be stuck and they couldn't really take action and they didn't know kind of the direction to go in. So Brandon, like in your experience, what tends to be the hardest kind of transitions for women specifically at midlife when it comes to their careers? Yeah. So if I could, I actually like to love to share something I, I learned. I, so Alan knows about this, but there's an amazing retreat facility process called Modern Outer Academy led by Chip Connolly, an amazing co-founder by the name of Jeff and a few other transformative leaders. And they talk about, and it's really a reimagining the second half of life. Mm. I use a little bit of different language or they call it midlife or whatever it might be in the messy middle. I like to say that because my friends are all in theater. I like to say there's a first act, a second act, a third act, four act. I get a fifth or sixth. It doesn't matter. You know, the show can go on. If you're Bruce Springsteen, you, never, you have a hundred curtain calls for God's sakes. And so they talk about transitions in this way. They talk about the personal transitions, the professional transitions, the parenting transitions, the psychological or spiritual transitions, the place transitions, uh, sometimes the most traumatic, sometimes uh, pace. How, do we get slower? Do we get faster? Physical passing, obviously, we wouldn't know what that is, uh, the, the loss of. Uh, pecuniary, they were really stretching with that P because it's financial. And then, you know, I, I kind of did my Brandon thing where I thought about my favorite transition, which is permission. And sometimes we don't give ourselves. And that's sort of what I, my, my takeaway of all that is that first and foremost, we have to give ourselves permission to transition and whatever that means. Uh, because even if you get divorced or you lose a job or you lose someone you love, you can stay stuck in that moment. And people do, they stay in that trauma and they stay there forever. And that's their life. And I just, God, I'm so sad and so tragic. My mother did that in in some ways too. And a lot of people do because you don't get the help or the support, or you don't give yourself permission to move on. And I don't want to negate trauma, but it's important that we don't stay there. We can use it. So Sorry, I just wanted to give those because I thought those were probably brilliant and the people at MEA are brilliant. Mm-hmm. So you asked a question and let me answer it. What is hard about transitions professionally in midlife specifically? Is that, yeah. do I have that question right? Yeah. yeah. So it's this feeling of starting over. I think a lot of times, I mean, let me give you another tragic story than that. Because I think people think that's a tragedy. Like you get to a point, you get fired, you get laid off and that's a tragedy. As a lawyer, I saw a much greater tragedy play out over and over again. These specifically men oftentimes, but women too, men would climb this legal ladder, get to the top partner, the top of their firms, and that you look back from the, the height of the wreckage of their life, these the, the, the divorces, the kids who don't talk to them, the, everything. And then guess what? It's They're not any happier. And then worst of all, especially East Coast lawyers, sometimes God bless us, myself included, I tried to actually, I took the knowledge of not doing this, but it's easy to fall into this trap. So I give them a lot of grace and compassion, but they then they spew their anger and they spew their frustrations and they spew it all out. That is like Greek 
tragedy to me. That's tragic. That's midlife tragedy because you've now you're at the top and you fought and you've sacrificed everything. And for you to look in the mirror now would be like Medusa. You turn to stone and it wouldn't work. So though that's tragic to my midlife, what I've seen, the firing, the layoff, the, I can't do this anymore. The awakening, the awareness, those are beautiful. Those are glorious tragedies. And what I like to say, and this might help is there's three ways to handle that in midlife. One is yes, you get laid off and that sucks or you get fired and that's kind of even worse. But let me really, I'm gonna get to my best caveat for getting fired in a second. Two is you quit and you find another job or another career. And that's hard. That's, oh, finding a new career is really hard. And then the third one, which is I'm a big component of it and I really promote this idea is you get spectacularly blaze of glory, ball of flames fired. And I will always go to bat for that one because the bottom line is oftentimes when that happens, it's when you've been in a 20, 25, 30 year career. I mean, Ellen might even know people that fall under this category that just woke up one day. was like, I am going to share my voice. I am going to say the things that I was too scared, was never going to say the women I know in particular and some men that have done that are the most successful, happiest, and most transformative people I know on earth. So transitions aren't always bad, but it's really not bad when you own the narrative. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah. When you own the narrative, I think it's really great. How about when you don't? What do do women in particular need to do when facing some of those challenges you just mentioned? I know that fear is a big thing. Fear has played a big part in my life, in my career. And as we get older, I think women are less afraid. Yeah, 100 fucking percent. Sorry, I'm, I'm a lot of questions. You're good. All right. I mean, first off, I should a disclaimer what I normally begin with. I don't want to mansplain anything or heat anything or God forbid. So anything I talk about is clearly not from a white cis male angle, right? It is simply talking to 2,000 to 3,000 or more of the most powerful women I've ever met on earth. Most of them are in business, but some of them are teachers like my mother and nurses like my amazing a mother-in-law who will define fear as false evidence appearing real. Oncology nurse, end-of-life care, and that woman just goes straight into the battle zone. And so I say this because fear is not always real, but I think we can give it power. So I don't know if that resonates for you, the idea of fear as not appearing real. I'm actually curious, does that resonate for you, that false evidence? As you look back at something like, why was I worried? That wasn't really what's going on. Yeah, I I think we put a lot of angst onto you know, what if this doesn't work? And what if, what if, what if, and we get stuck in that, in that hamster wheel of not moving forward. And when, when we finally just embrace it, you know, and then sometimes like if we're forced into it, such like a layoff, we don't have any choices. You know, sometimes the outcome is even better than where we were before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. I, I, I say that sometimes. I mean, I, my, my daughter might run into this room in any second, but one of the superpowers of like losing everything as I did tragically was I didn't have fear for a long time because mm. the worst had already happened. My career had fallen upon my people. I loved to die. I didn't care, you know, and then you get a kid and get, you know, and it's like, oh God, you know, there's actually just watching the last of us. And the, the guy talks about this as like survivalist. And he talks about finding his partner and he's like, damn it. I had no fear. It's like this, the trade-offs of fear is really, it's both beautiful when you have nothing to lose, but it's even more beautiful when you do. What we have to realize is losing a career. I think this is my most important thing. The fear is we're losing something, but my experience, we've lost it long ago. So one of the things I talk about, I know we're going to talk about divorce today, but I was a domestic attorney uh, before I was a recruiter and then obviously executive coach. And I still believe that congratulations is due to anyone who's gotten fired, laid off, or been divorced, meaning something happened to you, right? You didn't choose, but I still say to some degree, now I'm not saying that's not, I, I know how I've seen firsthand, both as a lawyer and as a coach, how painful that is and devastating it is. So, and both financially, but I want to say this, no one in history has ever lost, left their dream job or dream person. What we're mourning is something that was that person we married or that 18 year old, right. Or whatever, or that we married in high school, sweetheart's case, or we're mourning the job that was, but Ellen knows this all too well. A company can change a lot in 30 something years or 20 something years. And we hold on to these bonds. I mean, it's like the military. People don't go to war for the purpose. They go to war for their friends. And so I think that at least according to my military, like the, all the great military leaders I'm friends with and know, you know, it's the person next to you as well, more than the cause. But the company starts letting you down. The person starts letting you down long before it ends. And really, it's a free, it's a freeing of these kind of, a friend of mine said this to me, or not a friend, a friend of the room leader, MEA said, you know, he's hard. He says, it's going to push me. And there's a great line in Ted Lasso. I said, he's like, I'm going to push you. And it's going to be difficult. And one of the things that I think a great, a terrible job and terrible spouse can do for us is they can be a mentor. But you can't have mentor without tormentor. That's not mine. That's Ted Lasso's. But I love that line. You can't have mentor without tormentor. <laughs> and what's the lesson we can take? What's the lesson we can clean so that we don't fall? The real fear, in my experience, is not falling into the old patterns. Forget the new. Brandon, I have to say this is a great segue for us to kind of move from career transition to divorce transition to. <laughs> and I have to say that kind of my motto was I stayed at the dance too long, whether it was in a relationship or whether it was at a company or a specific job. And again, I think some of that was based out of fear. And so I like this idea of relationship transitions can be equal in some level around a career transition. Tish and I love stats. So I'm just going to throw out a couple right here. It's the national trend to divorce among adults over 50 years or older. What Tish and I love to say is midlife or third act or fourth act or fifth act. I don't know what act we're on right now, but it's over 43%. And it's really, I think, akin also to women who become widows at midlife as well. And we women live longer, right? So these things are going to happen to us. So whether it's divorce or the job, that kind of thing, how do you start helping reframe 
the discussion with people to see it in better and healthier ways? Um, we get so focused on the loss, we forget the game. Mm, okay. And so, and we forget, right? This actually was said to me at um, a training I did for the legal team in Ohio. Uh, but someone said, we get so busy focused on the mountains we have to climb that we forget all the mountains we've climbed. And I think that's one of the things I do, in, especially in career, by the way, but divorce as well, is that that's so easy. And by the way, when when actually when I'm trying to save a marriage, if I am, or a partnership, I'm just like, you guys have climbed so many mountains. Like, why do you think this is one mountain you won't? And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. But I had one friend during COVID be like, my marriage is amazing and work is amazing. And I was like, I will be talking to you in three years. And I actually never re- reconnected. But everyone else was like, hey, hey, I'm in it. And I'm like, you're my tribe, right? Because it's that feeling of loneliness and alone. And so the gain comes from knowing you're not alone, both in those stats, but also realizing, I think, and I really believe this actually, Alan, what did you gain? I think loneliness, right? It's almost for most people, if you think of life as a hero's journey, you start at the top, you return home, it's Luke Skywalker. The alone is a swamp if you follow Star Wars. But the point is that when you're alone, it feels terrible. But you know what has always feels worse in my humble opinion? Feeling alone laying in bed next to someone or feeling alone. This is something I experienced so often in my career and my life, feeling alone at work. Why are you all okay with this firm, this company, this what have you? Why am I the only one that's not okay? Why am I broken, right? Turns out they were all better at hiding it, but it doesn't matter. And so I think what happens, what you gain is you're actually not alone now. That you're, you know, if nothing else, you're connected to yourself. And if you want, you know, or go do what I do, which is listen to Dolly Parton's Light of a Clear Blue Morning or St. Dolly's, I call her, you know, it's like, even though I'm Jewish, I don't, I, you know, I, I think Dolly's probably a patron saint. I'm, I'm a positive. You know, I'm half Catholic, but I'm, if she's not, she should be, y'all. I don't know who you talk to about that stuff. But like light of a clear morning is gospel. You know, it's just literally about being in a situation and breaking free and realizing that you've been chained. And I think we get so used to the chains that we get uncomfortable with the freedom. And not, I know chains is a really intense word, but it's these bonds, these connections, these things we're so afraid of losing. That's true for, I know we're going to talk about grieving, but that's true for grieving. We get so comfortable with the uncomfortability that the idea of anything else becomes too terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, sometimes I think the many women fear being alone more than anything else, right? And that's the same within a career or a marriage. And I think that's when you talk about the hero's journey, I think that really resonates with me, Brandon, really that circle, right, of that journey and seeing yourself as the hero of your own story. I don't know, Tish, if that's kind of a new concept for you, but I really like that. Yeah, I think for me, where where I've been in my personal journey, because I've had a lot of changes, especially the last two and a half years, is I become really good with being solo at times. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have that like sadness all the time. So there's that peace that comes with that. But I do like to shake life up a lot. I do like to get <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. with mm-hmm. get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That is a place that I try to get to because that's that's where the growth happens. And you said the most important word there, Trish, which makes you see this is the tragedy, right? We can talk about this all day and someone's going to listen to this podcast or whatever and go out. They don't know what they're talking about. And it's because fixed mindset versus growth mindset, right? Something we talk about 
you know, at the academy, I just went to, but like, God, that's important for midlife. If you have a fixed mindset, I feel for you because you're not going to do any of the things, but Trish, what you said is I've always had a growth mindset. Ellen's always had a growth mindset, right? It's like, it really is important to get there because if you don't, whatever transition comes is going to feel, you're not going to move. You're going to stay stuck because you've already developed your narrative and you're not going to be ready. A growth mindset allows you to have anything happen, anything, throw it all at me. And I'm grand, grand I, I'm only bad at this when it comes to negative criticism, but for the most part, what can I garner from this? And I can do a criticism. It just takes me like a lot longer. And I like to say I'm shorter than that. But the point is, what happens if I'm putting myself on the spot there? It feels like a personal attack. It goes to like, especially a person who was bullied as a kid and wants to be so desperately liked. My biggest aha lately, Trish, maybe it's, it's not exactly being alone, but it's the power of, I don't have to be liked. Yeah. That's scary for me. I know what it is to not be liked. I know most of my, I know what it is to stand in front of a room as the only guy and be like hated by people. I know what it is to be the only guy in front of a room of dudes talking about feminism, be hated. Like mm-hmm. I've been the hated person oftentimes for the audacity to be myself. And it hurts. It just, oh, it hurts so bad. And I think it hurts, but that's what happens in great divorces and great layoffs and great firings is that like you have the audacity to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And you are getting fired or divorced or whatever because of that audacity. But how fucking beautiful, part of my French. But like, how fucking, I don't want to, I just fuck French, not a podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, why? How beautiful is that? I when I, when I had gone through a divorce, one of my aha moments was my spouse was telling me during an argument, you can't do that. And I go, I can do anything I want to do. <laughs> and that was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm taking the reins back here. I'm yeah. changing. I'm changing the narrative. I'm reframing how this is going to go forward. And that was an aha moment for me during my divorce. Yeah. And your whole energy shift. And I know most people probably listen to this, but like you literally grabbed the reins and pulled it back to yourself. Yeah. And you're basically like saying, no, no, you don't get to hold these. This is mine. This is my life. This is my narrative. I love that. And your whole energy and your joy shifts. One of the things I will say for divorce, for if it's worth it to anyone who has been divorced, uh, having studied, I don't know how, I mean, having done cases and, you know, my whole narrative of fighting in Baltimore, I don't know if I'd ever got married. I don't know if I'd still be a lawyer. I'd still be, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I might not be here because of the trajectory I was on versus happily married and the life I have now. And I only say that because divorce boils down to one thing. It's not abuse. It's not money. It's not religion. It's not economics. God forbid. Everyone says money. It's not. It is, I knew this was a problem going into the marriage and I thought it would get better and it never did. They said they didn't want kids, but I thought they changed their mind. I knew they had a drinking problem, but I thought it would get better. I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, they had an anger issue. And I thought, and what you really got to do in a marriage or a job, by the way, it's applies to all things, is go, I know this is a problem, but can I live with it? Mm-hmm. I love that my wife and I are pottery and our jagged edges fit together. It's one of my, it's how we fell in love. I fell in love with her jagged edges before I fell. She's, they're so small. It's like 1% of her, but God, do I love her, right? A friend of mine, lawyer, went to my room, angry little man that he is, a lot of lawyers are. And he was like, oh, she's driving me nuts. She's driving me nuts. And I go, nuts? You're nuts. You're a mess. I've been <laughs> for two years. Nuts. 
Just find your brand of nuts. Is she a macadamia? Is she an almond? Whatever weird nut you are, find your brand. And he was like, I think she might be my nut. I'm like, go away. You know, but it was <laughs> really, really beautiful. Re- it, he's so smart that he had to reframe his brain. Like, oh yeah, I'll either be alone forever or recognize that I can live with this brand, this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's beauty. But the think the feeling that we're someone's going to change or evolve or whatever, and then we'll be okay. <sighs> Never happens. Yeah. You no, know, I have to say a wise woman told me when I was much younger that, and I think this works for both men and women, that a house is a fixer-upper, a partner isn't, mm-hmm. right? So you have to be okay with them exactly as they are going into the relationship. And I think younger selves, if I could put this, think we're going to improve them and mold them and change them and, and all of that. So what you said, Brandon really speaks to me. I think Tish, we need to go find our nuts. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Find your nuts. I love it forward. But, you know, I think these are some wise words around relationships. I know that we wanted to talk about transitioning kids out into the world and some empty nesting. Tish, you just went through this. So I have this experience four times over, but it's the last one that leaves the house. That's the game changer. That's when, especially whether you're in a marriage or not, when the last child leaves that house, then it's you in the mirror. It's just you in the mirror. And we talk a lot about in the podcast about what happens now and taking control and reframing, however you want to look at it, these transitions to make them amazing, not to just wallow in this sadness of what do I do now? your whole friends group changes, your daily activities change. So how do you help women transition? How do you see women being able to reframe this, now I don't have to be mom day in and day out? I have to say that, you know, I'm right on the cusp of this too, Tish. (laughs) I have my last child at home. He's leaving in six months or less. And you know what, Brandon and Tish, there are days that I'm really excited for this. I cannot wait. And there are days, even though we talk about it all the time on the podcast, I've taken up hobbies, I'm out there, you know, doing different things. I think I'll have more time to focus on my work, right? My relationships. There's a a part of me that's like holding on to this so tightly. So I'll I'll be interested, Brandon, to see what kind of uh, advice you have here about this handling this transition. Yeah, I mean, two things come to mind. Two things. One is my mother, and two is is I think the new reality we're living in. And I'll start with that because I, I you know I, I've done this game long enough that like what do women want? It's like you know and I'm not going to step on that trap. You know, it's like this seems movie trap. Come on, like, I'll, skip I'll skip it. No, I will. I will. But I'll speak authentically about the experience. So one thing that me and my friends joke around a lot of my like you know general counsel friends, guys who are kind of successful, we're like who are these men that were allowed to golf all weekend? You know, like I don't know them. Like. And, and and more and more, if we're really, that's the joke, like, you know, because we all married, like, on purpose, every one of my friends married powerful women, like, that would be like, hi, honey, good luck with the kid, you know, like, I had a friend in my, we went down to LA, and he was like, I'm gonna stay one day, and my wife was like, get your ass home, you know, like, it's just, we live in a generation where I don't know who these men were, but I sure as hell don't know them now, and I know they exist, don't get me wrong, but like, 
you know, that whole idea of partnership, like I'm, I don't know how it's going to happen. I know I'm going to probably have a hard time with my wife, you know, like, because just because I'm the dad, you know, my wife is amazing. My wife has taken her to school. My wife is her comfort. My wife is, but I'm like the play, like I'm the person who has all the, you know, I do all the play. Aaron does. And then we're trying to switch. Right. And I'll do the caregiving because there's beauty in there. We're, we're true partnership 50, 50. And I say that because, um, you know, I think that's shifting. I really do. I don't think it's going to be a women issue. I think it's going to be a men issue is my point. And I'm seeing that with my guy friends and how hard we, you know, I hate leaving my kid for a week. I hate going to work trips if I don't have to, you know, I'll charge whatever I can. Hey, you want me to leave my family? You're literally paying me to leave my family now because otherwise I'd rather just be with them, et cetera. So I share that with you because I do think that's shifting. And I wonder if we're not going to see a transition in not in, and also the shared experience of both men and women really mourning it in a different way moving forward. Mm -hmm. I hope we do. My mother a hundred percent died with no question about it. She had bipolar disorder and alcoholism and, and probably a lot of trauma mixed in. And she held it at bay. You know, all these people have these terrible childhoods they speak of. I got bullied a lot and teased a lot, but I didn't have a, what you would refer to as a bad childhood because my mother was amazing. But the second I left the house, she fell apart. And then she became full-blown alcoholic, full-blown, all the demons she kept at bay for me for 18 years came rushing back at 19. And, and that is its own tragedy. And in hindsight, they were probably there. Uh, my father, God bless him, was around. He loved me, but he wasn't I had a mom, my dad was Gary and my mother was mom. You know, my dad's having a great third act, by the way, where I call him dad now. I didn't call him dad for those decades. So you share that too, because how tragic, how fucking tragic. If I had a time machine, I'd be like, listen, thanks. Obviously you set the model for whom I was a father and a man and a human, but rather you be around and happy and healthy. And I think the problem that we have from empty nesting or parents, and I certainly suffer from this, I went to Modern Outer Academy away from my family, leaving my child, leaving my wife, feeling shit. And I was like, I'm going to be here, though, for this company that sent me and to be a better husband and father. And I talked about that for three days. I'm going to be a better husband and dad, husband and dad, husband and dad, better coach, husband and dad. And day three came. I'm like, hey, start looking in the mirror. Be a better person to you. And I came back 100% better father, husband, and I think coach, because I spent the second half focusing on how I can be a better me. That's the secret to empty nesting. For the first time in most people's lives, they have a chance to really focus fully on how they can be the best themselves. And we don't get that when we're around our families as much or our kids. My humble I, I would definitely agree with that. We talk a lot about like, you know, that especially with women, you're considered selfish if you do things that are just for you and not for the family or a spouse or something like that. And this idea that all of a sudden you have all this time. And so Ellen and I talk a lot about planning it out, like being ready. Like it don't just all of a sudden they, the door closes and they've left and you're like, ah, now what? But to like plan it out. And I think that really speaks to your reframing. I love that. And I love what you just said, because you remind me something. You don't stop being a role model. You don't stop being the model. So you leave and they, you crumble. That's still the lesson that child will get, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the truth. You know, I, I spent a lot of time recovering from the trauma of the lesson my mother showed me once you have nothing um, or you give everything to someone. That's a lot of so, guilt too. That's a lot of, um, yeah. I always talk about that, like our children are not our emotional partners and we can't exactly. guilt them into being such. 
No, that's that's right. And I think I played that role as, as alcoholism usually does that. You're part of it. It's the disease is kind of the relationship. It's an other thing of bronze me and my wife. We both went through Al-Anon, you know, I mean, and her mother came out the other side healthier and happier than she ever been. And my mom died. I mean, it's the only difference, mm-hmm. literally the only difference that and having great friends, having great friends. My mom had mm-hmm. not great friends and some really awful friends. And Marcy had some, my mother-in-law had some amazing friends. I swear to God, that's the only difference. I think community, Brandon, community, like you're saying, is so important. And Tish and I have this amazing community of college friends. There's 10 of us that I know I can go to really at any time. But I think about empty nesting. It doesn't matter if you're a single mom like Tish and I, or you're married and in a great partnership. It's such a hard time. And I think what we're saying Sorry. and what I'm hearing you say is that reframing it, right? The giving yourself permission to to explore and to do things other than mothering or parenting or, you know, just being your authentic self is, I think, really important here at this transition. Sorry, I'm doing that thing where I'm inter- I never interrupt. Women get interrupted at this level of 75% more than men. So stating it, but you said something really important because I think about how powerful and amazing you are, Ellen, in particular, uh, Trisha, I'm getting to know that about you too. All right. I'm going to go fucking full East coast just for a second. I'm going to curse. I'm going to say something. Why the actual fuck do we call it empty nesting? How insane is that term? It's literally, if they, if the nest continues, right. I assume that birds still sleep somewhere. Last time I checked, it's fucking empty. Think about that. Think about that words. It's literally saying the day the children leave, nest is done. The home, let's assume the home is the nest. Then Mm -hmm. it's empty. What the, why, why have we allowed that terminology to permeate our societal brains? It literally means no one exists. It is empty. Nothing is here anymore. That is Yo, sorry. No, it's Still true. It's true. Maybe we need to change that narrative, right? Yes. About Can we come up a better term. Yes, we need a better term. Us. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Wait, well, I think we could have a whole entire podcast on that if you ask me, right? So uh, I think <laughs> most of our podcasts are about that. But it's interesting because you had said something, Brandon, like the nest isn't really empty. So there, there's more there. But the final transition that we wanted to talk about is when there is no more there. And you were also talking about it too. When you lost, when you lose your parents, that is like a loss that hits you in the soul. That's not something you can redo. And I, I've said to so many friends who get frustrated with their parents, I go, one day, you're not going to even have this. You're going to miss it. So, you know, cherish those moments because those you can't, there's nothing left, you know, except for the memories. And uh, Uh, so true, Tish. I just have to add in here, Tish and I both lost our parents fairly, what I think is early, right, in life. And I do, if I long for anything, if I have envy at anything, it's having parents Mm -hmm. to be there for either me or for my kids, you know, that intergenerational bonding that that we've missed out on. And so I have to say that this parental loss or loss of another elder, we have a lot of listeners that they may be taking care of aging aunts and uncles or siblings that are now, you know, our age or older. So there is this whole idea of this permanent loss. 
Yeah. And they've studied and said, you know, by age 54, two thirds of us will have lost at least one parent. So this is when it's really coming, you know, deep for people. And I think it's super important to have a reframing ready for this one. Mm -hmm. I do too. This one's a whopper. So Brandon, I'm going to be really interested to hear what you, you know, you have to, to say about this. It's also like the loss of rituals, habits, and like, unlike the last three transitions, you know, we can always get another job. We can find another mate. Kids are around. The nest is not really empty. But the death of someone we love and respect as an elder is is final. How do we find a healthy transition here? You know, it's interesting. You're, we're talking about, okay, so there's two different things here. I mean, it's, Trisha said, you know, what do you do before they die? You know, that will really determine how you recover after they die. One thing they talk about this whole end of life, you know, like my life has been both a tragedy and then like whatever version of a happy movie, you know, you want to write. Like after my mother died, a friend of mine who's a Broadway actor and musician wrote a song called Shit Year and he would perform it and people would come up to him bawling, going, I can't believe that happened to you. And then you go, oh, it's about my friend, Brandon. I'm fine. And I had him really write a sequel at, at my wedding. And, but I've gotten from my father, all the things that I, that you could hope from because he had to fill that role. So speak about actions after she passed up, he filled the matriarchal role for alpha narcissist, all the things he grew up with. He 180 it to be a version of him that never would have existed if my mom was still here. Now I take my mom every day, but I think here's where I'm at. Two things. One, um, bipolar, alcoholic, yada, yada. And everyone, all of her friends would go, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. I'm like, I don't know. For 18 years, she was my only friend. She was the only one who fought for me, loved me, cared for me. I can tell you a hundred reasons why my life is what it is. And it's that woman. Yeah, I, I guess we could argue all day whether this is fair or not fair, whether while everyone in their 20s is building their careers and going off and maybe getting married or finding themselves. And I'm picking up a phone every night to make sure she's okay. And then sometimes picking up at the floor or getting her committed or any of the fuck. But you know why she gets that? Because for 18 fucking years, she was there every day of my life. And you know what? Even at her most unhealthy, if I said, hey, mom, I need advice. She would pick up the phone and give me advice or be there. And it was a way to get her to snap out of it because she could still be a mother even at her sickest. So you get that. If you're a great parent, you get the return. But I say that to you because no fucking regrets. The worst thing you can do if your parent dies is have regret. I cannot imagine it. I don't. I won't have it with my dad. And I and I and I do have it with my mom, but 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 here's why. And this is the story, and I have to share it because it's true. Is that the one night I don't pick up the phone? I'm dating someone who says, You don't deserve this. I'm like, maybe you're right. And the phone dies, and I don't pick up the phone. The message again in the morning is you're not picking up the phone. I'm so alone, I'll be dead in the morning. And she was one night in 10 years, I don't pick up the phone, and she's dead. And I found her frozen to death in the snow. True story. That's a fucking oh. real thing that happened in my life. How the hell do you recover from that? I don't know. I called my sister. The first thing she said after she found out my mom is that please don't hurt yourself, which is probably the smartest thing she ever said, because it was like, yeah. like, that's what you're worried about. I went, and the greatest thing I've learned after someone dies is go into service, go into service, go into service, help others. You feel helpless, help. You feel alone, connect. But if you can help others at your lowest, 
you will not feel helpless. That's one. Do everything you can to be there. I don't care. People say, I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to do this. If your mom, if your mom and your dad were great, do it. And if they weren't, don't do it. Okay. That's the truth. You don't, they don't now get the cash in a check. They never put money into or whatever back account they didn't cash. So you don't know them shit. <laughs> they were shit, you know, in front of my French cursing a lot. I know. When These I are passionate talk, subjects. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I talk fast. I know that. So if you're listening to this at double speed, there's no way you're listening to it. But here's my point. Actions after. And I think this is true. What do you, if our parents at their core level love us, then don't we owe it to ourselves to love ourselves? I really believe this sometimes while our parents, now my dad and me have a different relationship, but if I stayed working for my father, I never was going to become who I was going to be. If my mom was still alive, I'd still be in Baltimore because I would have never left her. So I wouldn't have my kid who is my, my universe, my world. And who my mother would have loved, I wouldn't have my wife who I love, my mother would be best friends with. You know, I wouldn't have my mother-in-law who is basically reincarnating my mother, only more neurotic and more annoying. Kidding. Love you, Marcy. <laughs> but like, God, I wouldn't have these people and I wouldn't have this life for this profession, for this place. So I say all that to you because if the cost is the loss, you owe it to them to gain. And I, I just was with an amazing woman who has lived through so much trauma of a narcissistic, selfish mother who was abusive in every sense, it sounds like. And we were talking and she has Alzheimer's and dementia. So she'll never get that thing that I got my dad, where you get to stay all the pain and all the things, but then also get like the hallmark ending of like, I'm so proud of you. I'm sorry. And I love you and all the things I've gotten, right? She's never going to get that. But here's what she got. She went to the Alzheimer's unit. And her mother, who has been only can talk about herself, only can focus on herself, only can do whatever, grabbed her hand and kissed it over and over again. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it was like hurting her. And she was like, I love you. 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 Over and over again. And she walks down. She goes, she's finally gone. She's lost it. And the nurse says, I've spent a year of your mother. I think that's actually who she is. Wow. I think that's, I think she always, she loves you. Mm -hmm. That one's filled with love. She just buried it under a lifetime of pain. Yeah. That's the resolution. Right. I think in our society that we're so focused on this perfect life and everything's perfect and perfect. And we forget (laughs) that the struggle is really what makes Mm -hmm. it interesting and really what brings us to our pinnacle. That's right. Suffering. Uh, Buddhism really helped me. I have a good friend. I was best man at his wedding. And uh, he said, he taught me how to be a wasp and I taught him how to be a Jew. And what that means is I taught him to feel something and he taught me how not to feel everything. I love that. <laughs> joke. Um, and he went in after my mother died and I'm wallowing in and wallowing. In. He just goes, I don't know what to tell you, Brandon, everything changes. And I was like, you know, I, but every other friend was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Your mother died tragically. Right, you know, right. world, you know, and he's like, everything changes. And I'm like, and he's like, and he starts apologizing. No, you said it. Tell me why. And he goes, well, when he spoke about Buddhism and he said, and it literally says it like, and so I go in and I, and like, he shares a book of me and it literally says our unhappiness, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but my takeaway for what it's worth, I don't want to quote a, a religion. My takeaway was this unhappiness comes from two places. Either we are terrified that we're going to lose or something's going to change. So we so are unhappy that that thing might happen or something is bad and we think it's going to stay that way forever. There you go. That is unhappy. So if you just accept that everything changes, then you will spend less time in unhappiness. You will accept that change is a constant and a must. The other thing that the bad lesson I took away from that, because I went deeper, was suffering 
gives and Victor Frankl talks about this man's search for meaning, give suffering, give the pain meaning. So mm-hmm. then I suffered and I suffered and I suffered. And one day I'm with my best friend, Brad in LA, you know, who's a, a state for the best friend of me, you know, most are like love stories. I'm like, I'll move for my best friend who you know, put me up on a sofa until his wife gracefully kicked me out. <laughs> she didn't really, but metaphorically they both did. They're like, go, go live your life. So lost puppy. But before that we're in Los Angeles, we're in Ventura Boulevard and the sun is shining. And I got really sad. I got really depressed. And I was like, I'm going to use this Trish. I'm going to use this pain. I'm going to mm-hmm. figure out how I can use it today. And he looks at me and he sees me like about to cry. And he goes, no, no, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And the second we were laughing outside this car to the five blocks, God forbid you walk anywhere in LA, to the five blocks you drive to the tea shop, which is another thing you do in LA. Nothing happened. Brand. Nothing happened. And I was like, well, let me feel my, no. Great friend. No. Because there is the truth of that we can use it. There's a truth of the transition. And then there's a truth that if we wallow in it too long, we are not living our lives. We're not transitioning. We are not embracing the change. We are not dancing in the glory of the opportunity to grow. And if we're not growing, we're dead. You don't want to grow old? Great. Alternative is kind of worse last time I checked. And so grow and use it. And find the beauty in the manure and mm-hmm. the shit. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I relate to that so much. When my mother died, I went to a parental loss group and I walked away with one thing. And Tish, I know you and I have talked about this, is that it was kind of like a football game. And now the front line is gone and we are the front line. I am now the matriarch of my family. And I have some responsibilities and some joy and some power and some reframing of this, not as somebody who's lost something, but now I am that tree. I am that strength for my family. So it was that transitioning, that rewriting of that, that really gave me power in that instance. Oh, Ellen, I just love that. I have not heard that from you before. And, you know, it's that taking the torch and and moving it forward now. Yeah. I yeah, love that. I feel that, powerful Ellen. as the matriarch, right? Yeah. And yes. an opportunity you would not have had, that joy in your voice, that passion, that natural transition, you would not have had if your mother... And getting to peace with that in the ultimate loss, you can find gain and being okay in that is so hard. But But yet a natural life transition. This is the circle. This is the hero's journey that we've been talking about throughout all of these transitions today. And so I think this is just a really great way for our listeners and Tish, for you and I to really look at framing transitions. Yeah. Brandon, I can't thank you enough for being here. This has been really kind of eye-opening. You know, it's kind of really doing a path that people can follow of it's okay to transition. It's okay for things to change. They're going to be different, but that doesn't mean they're going to be bad. And I think it is. It's about changing your mindset. We talk a lot about changing our mindset, manifesting all kinds of things like that. But at midlife, what are we waiting for? This is it. Let's go. We're in that. What chapter are we in? 
third, fourth, fifth, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Brandon, for being here today. The Positively Midlife podcast will drop every Wednesday. Become part of our tribe of women excited to thrive in midlife. Like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen and invite your friends along. Until next time, have a great week.